just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. From APP.com, it's time to talk college hoops in the Garden State. Welcome to Jersey Jump Shot. That's right, it's time for episode three of Jersey Jump Shot. Back here with the Asbury Park Press, Ryan Ross with Steve Edelson and Jerry Carino for episode three. Guys, another episode jam-packed, a lot to get through today. And March is in the air. It's coming, (laughs) gentlemen. It's on its way. Our last show of February, and man, does that excite me. And even the weather feels like March now. So, you know, I think that really gets everybody pumped up. You just know that Selection Sunday is around the corner. And we switched up our schedule here a little bit, too. Uh, We have the top 25 kind of fresh off the presses right now. They just came out at the time that we're recording this. Uh, Jerry, of course, you voted in this. Uh, What have you seen from the polls, and how did you vote? So I had Seton Hall ranked 12th this week. I thought they would come in 13th. They moved up from 16th, in fact, to 13th, uh, passing uh, a couple teams that lost last week. They remain one behind Villanova. I had them ahead of Villanova because they had beaten Villanova on the road. They're ahead of Villanova in the Big East standings in first place. And so that was my rationale. But, you know, one-off. Seton Hall's right about where they should be. And uh, the team Rutgers is facing this week, Penn State. They had been ninth. They lost twice. I had them down at 18th. They wind up coming in at 16th. I always say about the AP poll, it's like the mob. It's hard to get in and hard to get out. (laughs) Movement is very slow, but uh, Penn State did lose twice. Marquette, the team that Seton Hall faces at the end of the week, they dropped out going from 21st to out after uh, losing two games, and I had them at 25th. So I'm usually pretty close. Seton Hall is where they should be, and uh, they're in a spot to really do some damage in the, uh, in the stretch run here. And let's talk about the Pirates. What a difference a week makes. It was kind of gloom and doom last week after two losses. They get ripped by their head coach, and then they come out on fire this week. They have a thrilling last-second win over Butler, and then they take care of business against St. John's as well. So let's talk about their week. And like you said, they go to, uh, they go to Marquette uh, Saturday, so they have a couple days off to, to recover and get ready for the stretch run here, but still looking like a three-seed looks. I told you last week I would be shocked if the Pirates lost one of their two home games. And a fan, God bless him, a listener at the uh, at the Rock on uh, Wednesday, grabbed me and said, "You you you guaranteed a win, but you didn't say you come down to the last second. <laughs> uh, and it did take them a last second shot to beat Butler, and then they they hammered St. John's. After that, I just knew when for Kevin Willard to take the measure to rip into his team. We talked about this last week after their two game losing streak. I knew that that message would would resonate with his players. Kevin doesn't cry wolf. He doesn't do this very often." I felt like he pushed the exact right button. He did. Monday, he had three practices, a grinder day for them, 7, 2.30, and 9 at night. One of them was a film session, and the message got through. Now, the Butler game was just a great Big East game, two heavyweights throwing haymakers, and got to credit Willard for drawing up a sensational last-second play, an inbounds to Sandro Mamuklashvili, who was one of the main targets of his ire after the Providence game. Sandro was brilliant this week. Message received. 
Great play call by Willard. He's grown so much as an in-game tactician. He had Miles Powell being used as a decoy. Uh, Laval Jordan, the Butler coach, thought the play was going the lob with .6 seconds left, was going to seven foot two row Gill. And Sandro took advantage of a one-on-one with a freshman. Great win for Seton Hall. And then they followed that up by hammering shorthanded St. John's. No contest. Came out of the gate. Finally played well out of the gate. And, you know, Seton Hall needed that. They needed this week. And they're close. You mentioned their seed. They're a number three seed in all the bracketologies that came out today on Monday. They're a three seed with the opening round weekend in Albany. That's exactly where they want to be. And I think they're one... Probably one win away down the stretch here with three left from locking that spot in Albany up. And that was sort of step one in the goals for this team this season. When I think even beyond locking up that that three seed, you know, they've got a week off now going to Marquette. That is a really tough place to win. If they can go in there and play well and knock them off, I mean, that really says a lot about this team and where they might be headed, you know, in terms of a regular season and a Big East and – you know, moving forward in the NCAA tournament. I, I think that Marquette, Marquette game is a huge measuring stick for them. Here's here's the good thing is it's a no-lose situation for your neck because you're not going to take a hit for losing that game. But I think Marquette, Marquette goes in as a slight favorite, you know, a point spread favorite. They're very good at home. Marcus Howard is really dangerous at home, Marquette All-American guard. He can draw, He's dropped 40 and 50 on teams at home. When he gets hot, he can hit his shot from half court. So that's something you got to worry about. Uh, Seton Hall hasn't historically played very well at Marquette. They've lost there, I think, three out of the last four years. Um, but they did beat Marquette fairly handily by double figures at home last month. Here's why Seton Hall matches up pretty well against Marquette. is because they have two guys who can defend Howard. Not one, but two. Quincy McKnight has given Howard a hard time his entire career. And then if McKnight gets in foul trouble, and they're, you know when you're on the road in a place like Marquette, the fouls could add up. They bring in Shavar Reynolds, the pride of Manchester Township in Ocean County, defensive specialist coming off the bench. So McKnight can sit for four or five minutes and stay out of foul trouble, and Reynolds can handle uh, can handle Howard. That's a big advantage, and that's why Seton Hall matches up well. It will be a tough environment. I do think they have a pretty good chance to win out there Saturday. Is it possible for Seton Hall to kind of become a victim of their own success? You have them as the three seed in Albany now. That's the, the favorable location that they want. They keep winning and move up to a two. Let's say now they're the number one three seed. If they go to the number four two seed, will that result in them going to a different location? No, they're going to be booked. It doesn't matter. The pods on that first weekend are all arranged to give the better teams a home you know, regional advantage. That's called a protected seed. It doesn't really matter. Uh, there's no way Seton Hall can move up out of out of Albany. It will be hard for them to move down out of Albany. There's two. There'll be two protected seeds sent to each site. So two to Albany. The Northeast region in the Northeast. Who are the best teams? It's, it's Seton Hall. It's Villanova. It's maybe Penn State, who's in a little bit of a slump. Penn State could also wind up in Cleveland, probably equidistant, maybe even closer. Maryland probably ends up in Greensboro. Uh, there is just a shortage of teams in the Northeast to take Seton Hall out of that spot. So it's going to be very hard for Seton Hall to lose the placement in Albany. The bigger question is, what do they have to do to stay in the East region, you know, beyond that first weekend pod in Albany? They would love to play in Madison Square Garden. I think Seton Hall, if he gave them the truth serum, would rather be, you know, a three seed, a worse seed in the a three or four seed in the east, then have a better seed in another region because they're so familiar with the garden that have fans there. So that's the question that has to be played out over the next week or two. 
And we'll see coming up against Marquette. Uh, when they played them a couple weeks ago, uh, Marquette actually entered uh, as five-and-a-half-point underdogs in that one. They ended up losing by uh, 14 to Seton Hall that game. An interesting stat, though, uh, Seton Hall 3-1 and one against the spread as road underdogs. But you might worry about the rust a little bit. Uh, they're 6-3 and three against the spread when they have four days off or more. So you have to take a look at that. They do have the bye week. Kind of coming at a good time as well as we prepare for this stretch run. So interesting thing came up in the post game yesterday. You know, Kevin Willard, the head coach, said uh, both of his guards were battling knee tendonitis. Uh, Miles Powell and Quincy McKnight, and uh, he also said that you know Miles Powell hasn't been shooting the ball well from deep. He's still been an effective player. Kevin said that there might be lingering effects of from his concussion in December in terms of bringing the muscle memory back for the form of his outside shot, which was interesting. I have noticed something different. Willard usually is never on the court in pregame shoot-arounds. He lets his assistants handle it. He's been on the court the last two games standing next to Powell, analyzing Powell's shots, breaking down every little motion. I've never seen him do that before. It's obviously an area of concern, and we'll have to see how it plays out. We'll take a look, of course, coming up, uh, Marquette for this week for Seton Hall. Uh, bright and sunny in the oranges and Newark and some doom and gloom gathering in Piscataway for the Scarlet Knights. They dropped two games this past week. Home against Michigan, they finally lose at the rack. Uh, pretty bad timing, I have to say, for your first home loss. And then they lose at Wisconsin in a tough one. Uh, some people might have them out of the tournament. We might have them in the playoff game. Others have them firmly as a nine seed. So where are the Scarlet Knights right now, and what else do they have to do? They're not out of the tournament. Uh, they're, they're in the tournament right now, but there's games left to be played, and today was the first day that you saw uh, a major bracketologist put them in the play-in round as an 11 seed in Dayton. That's Jerry Palm of CBS. He's been very down on Rutgers' record away from home, 1-9, uh, and nine, and the feeling is they got to find a way to rectify that sometime before Selection Sunday. But first, Steve was at the Michigan game where they lost at home. Steve, what, what happened there in a nutshell? Can you put your finger on why Rutgers' home dominance came to a halt? Well, first off, they shot the ball poorly that night. I mean, they, that was just the bottom line. They really did play very hard and competed. They just could not put it in the basket. Now, again, we saw early in the year Rutgers was not a very good shooting team. They seemed to really come around, but, you know, it was one of those nights where they kind of reverted back. Um, but, but, again, going back to, you know, Rutgers in the NCAA tournament, I, there's clearly work to be done here. You know, and I think I think the question right now comes down to, let's say Rutgers continues as they've been going, and they do not win on the road, but they beat Maryland. They beat Maryland, and then they go to Indianapolis, and they lose in the first round. Is that an NCAA tournament team? I think everyone's going to be sweating their rear ends off on Selection Sunday. And, Steve, they're going to be at the mercy of bid stealers around the country, not a position you want to be in. Right. I mean, it, it, really, at that point, you're looking at a team that would be 18-1 and one at home and 1-11 and 11 on the road or neutral site games. That's a that's a real debate. Nineteen and twelve overall, they would be at that point. It, 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 I would hate to let it come down to that, which is why these upcoming road games are so huge for Rutgers. Eighteen and twelve, by the way, because Caldwell the Caldwell win doesn't count. That's Division right. two game there for the committee. Here's, well, it's interesting. This is a test for Steve Peichel, okay? Because this is all new for him. You know, in, in his in his previous job, did a tremendous job building Stony Brook. It was about the three days in March, right? Winning the conference tournament to get to the NCAs. This is different, and I, I want to see how he pushes these guys. So the, what, I'm, what I got from him off of their loss at Wisconsin, Wisconsin shot the ball well, Rutgers didn't. Similar story to Michigan, and as we've seen in a lot of their losses. After the game, uh, Steve went right to the, the foul line and the free throws and the, and the 
you know, kind of implying that the officials weren't giving him a great whistle on the road. That hasn't happened at all in the Big Ten this year. You know, I, I've been watching Big East and Big Ten basketball closely. Look, everybody in college basketball, there's a home whistle. It's a thing, okay? It's been, it seems like it's been more severe in the Big Ten, maybe because the atmospheres are so bonkers. You know, you have these campus arenas that are louder and nuttier than other leagues, certainly the Big East as a whole. Um, so that could be part of it. But look, the, the home whistle is a thing. It's just it's not an anti-Ruckers thing. It's just a thing. Right. At home, when Ruckers was home against Purdue, it was like 17-2 to in the fouls to start the game. It was 26-10 to at one point before Purdue started fouling intentionally. When Penn State came into Rutgers in January, Penn State got like six fouls in the first three minutes, four minutes, including a flagrant intentional foul. So so that's just the way it happens. you got to deal with it. I don't know that you know. Steve likes to say yeah, we can't defend the foul line. I don't know that's going to change at Penn State yeah. this week. Is that going to change at Purdue? I don't think so. they got to find other ways, and you wonder if – no one's asking him to call out his team Willard style. Different coaches have different styles. I don't see Peichel doing that. He's hardly ever done anything like that. But you wonder if behind the scenes, do these guys need an extra motivational prod? They're, not that they're lazy players. These guys, these guys are good kids and they work hard. But do they need a different tactic, motivational tactic to sort of juice them up for the stretch run? Well, and I, again, I think that's a college basketball problem. The 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 ability to win on the road, the officiating on a home court for a team, that is a huge advantage. But what, I think what you're seeing now is the good teams are starting to overcome that. You know, you, you've seen Michigan State w- win a bunch of road games recently. Um, you know, Maryland, until Ohio State, had won five straight on the road. You, you saw Iowa win at Minnesota last week. You know, teams, now's the time to figure it out, you know, because everyone's in the same boat, and the good teams are going to have to figure that out now. If you look at the Penn State game, the, this should be a matchup Rutgers can be competitive with. They, they, they manhandled Penn State right. at home yep. last month in the second half. Penn State jumped out to an early lead, hit some shots. Rutgers crushed them on the boards, crushed their spirit defensively in that game at home. And so this is, you know, they have a guy who Penn State has a shooter who's missed five games with an illness. If he comes back, he's still missed five games. There's going to be some rust to shake off. Um, the Bryce Jordan Center, not one of the best home courts in the Big Ten. Rutgers has won there two of the last three years. You're not going into uncharted waters. This is a game Rutgers should match up fairly well. And I know Penn State has a, you know, a very high ranking with the metrics and whatnot. They're a good team. They deserve to be ranked. This is not Mission Impossible for Rutgers. Oh. They should be right there with this team. And if they're not, then it shows you there is a mental block with this group on the road that might not be able to be overcome. This is a very, very winnable game, safe to say, for Rutgers. Like you said, they were uh, only one-and-a-half-point favorites against Penn State at home when they played them a few weeks back. And they, like you said, Jerry, they handled them there. Uh, when you bring up the refs, though, uh, like Peichel did, is this kind of creating an us-versus-them scenario? Is this the way he's trying to motivate his team? Because then the other way to look at it is, yes, every team's going to get calls. Every team's going to have calls against them. It, it seems kind of grasping at straws sometimes when you're, you're blaming the refs, essentially, for, for your struggles. So I, I wonder kind of what the, the motivation, what the, the thought process behind bringing the refs up was for him. My, my fear is that it becomes an excuse for the guys. You know, I, and I understand what Steve is trying to do, but by bringing that up, you know, guys hear that and, you know, it, it becomes that mindset of, of, you know, they're out to get us here. You know, we know that. So. To me, he's, it's a way of him avoiding blaming his players. God bless him. Pikes is such a good guy. He doesn't want to, you know, throw his players under the bus and say, hey, we, we can't shoot or, you know, we're tight around the collar. Um, so that's his way of doing that, I think. But, you know, 
that's we all know that's not really what's happening here. What's happening here is Rutgers has to figure out a way to get their road demons out and get off to a good start in one of these road games. And over now to three Jersey schools in the MAC: Monmouth, St. Peter's, and Ryder. Great weeks. If you're Monmouth and St. Peter's and Ryder struggling, they drop two this week, while uh, Monmouth and St. Peter's both go two and zero. Monmouth in line for a bye, it looks like Steve, and then of course St. Peter's holding on to first place. Yeah, I mean Monmouth certainly is in line for one of the five buys in the MAC. Yeah, I think right now you look at at what St. Peter's has done. You know, they're up in they have a half game lead on Siena as they head to Buffalo. Uh, I think just with what has happened so far, Shaheen Holloway is going to be coach of the year in the MAC, and I think he should be. You know, they were picked to finish ninth. They really have played well. You know, I think they're probably going to split in Buffalo. I think that would be my guess. And then it's it's going to be very interesting to see what happens down the stretch. You know, it will be uh, very close. Siena's won five in a row. Monmouth played their best game of the year uh, on, on Sunday. Now Monmouth has to go to Ryder. And as much as Ryder has struggled, Ryder's 9-1 and one at home, and their only loss at home was to Arizona State. They're very good at home. Uh, and they have a lot of talent. So that would be a very interesting game for Monmouth. And if they can win that and then win on Sunday and let's just say St. Peter's splits up in the Buffalo area against Canisius and Niagara, you know, it's it's going to be a tight race. So know? thank you for saying Shane Holloway should be coach of the year because people want to argue this point because, I don't know, he's a new guy in the league and maybe, he, you know, he rubs people the wrong way with his competitiveness. That's what you're supposed to do. Right. Um, so I think it's a runaway. But But two questions for you. What is wrong with Ryder? Why is Ryder, with all their experience, with all their talent, why is Ryder not atop the standings? Why are they 9-8 and eight in the league? Well, it's an interesting question. I think a lot of people are asking that. And, you know, in just talking to some of their people at the Monmouth-Ryder game earlier this year, you know, I think one of the things is, you know, you have four thousand point scores on that team four very talented guys and you only have one basketball and at some point they're going to have to try and figure that out but i don't think they have at this that's point. that's the coach's and, job you know that's why the coach gets paid the big bucks man and, and <laughs> you got to work those egos <laughs> so so you know right now it's it's a real problem and again but you look at the Mac. There's five or six teams that you look at and say, you know what? If that team got hot in Atlantic City next month and won the tournament, you would not be shocked. And Ryder is clearly one of those teams. You know, they have so much talent. If they were to put it together, you, they can beat anyone. All know? right, Steve. Give me the order at this point in time. We're still a couple weeks out from the tournament. Give me the order likeliest to win the maybe four or five teams. Who's the likeliest team, if you had to bet, to win the MAC tournament right now? The likeliest. If I, I, would, I would pick uh, St. Peter's right now just because of the body of work they have shown over the last month, month and a half. Who's you, next? I think Iona. Really? Yeah, I really do. I, I think they have – they probably have the most talent in the league. You know, uh, they, they stumbled last week. Once, but then they they won on Sunday. Um, you know, I I think they are going to be very tough. The, I mean, you're going to have to knock them out. They're Who's like Freddy Krueger. You're going to have to eliminate them. <laughs> Who's next after that? After that, I, I think I, pro- I think probably Mammoth and Siena right there. Now, Siena beat Mammoth earlier this year. They have maybe the best player in the league in Jalen Pickett, 
So uh, they will be very tough. But I think those two teams, I think those four teams right there are going to be at the top. He sounds like Ryder's in trouble a little bit. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, they, they just haven't shown mm-hmm. enough, I don't think. It's going to be wild in AC. We agree on that. Absolutely. Can't wait for that. Mammoth with Ryder in Manhattan. Uh, St. Peter's, as Steve said, with the uh, upstate New York swing. And then Ryder, of course, taking on Mammoth and Fairfield. So we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, Princeton as well, uh, a tough week for them. They lose to Harvard. They beat Dartmouth like they should have. They still have Brown and Yale coming up, kind of a make-or-break time for the Tigers. Yeah, I mean, they can clinch a, a spot in the Ivy League tournament, the four-team tournament with a sweep this week, or put themselves in very good shape to be in that tournament, even if they go one and one. they got a two-game lead on a team that's in fifth. Uh, the Princeton's tied for second right now in the Ivy League. Yale, everyone you know believes, is the favorite. They're in first place. So... The goal for Princeton is just to get in a four-team tournament and see what happens. Uh, you know, they did lose to Harvard by one. I mean, this is the grind of the season. But I think other than Yale, Princeton matches up well with all these other teams. I can see them beating anybody. They might need a little help. Maybe somebody else knocks off Yale in the Ivy League tournament. I don't know. But the goal is to get in, and they're on pace to get in, which we expect. And then that Yale game, like you said, a heartbreaker. They lose by one. In, or the Harvard game, right. I'm sorry, they lose by one. But certainly a game, if you go back and look at one that they could have and probably should have won. So we'll keep an eye on that come tournament time. Uh, the Princeton women's basketball team, on the other hand, ranked 25th now. Finally, they got ranked. I don't know what else they have to do. 17 wins in a row. They're 9-0 and in the Ivy League. Uh, some of the women's programs around the state as well, they're in contention. Uh, Ryder, they have won four in a row. They're tied for first in the MAC. And Rutgers, 19-8 and overall, 9-7 and in the conference. So it's not just the men's teams in contention for March Madness, but a lot of the women's teams around the state as well uh, putting together some pretty nice seasons. It's going to be a, it's a really good year for Jersey basketball. I mean, this is a renaissance type of year, and this is what makes it fun. There's a lot to keep an eye on down the stretch these last few weeks. It's going to be fun. Exciting week for us coming up. Exciting week for New Jersey basketball fans as well. Uh, guys, that's going to wrap it up for show number three. What we got coming up? We got a good one coming. Chris Eisman, our colleague who, uh, who works out of the record and has been helping out with Rutgers Sports, has an interview with Jim Calhoun. He called Coach Calhoun. Coach Calhoun is still coaching uh, on the subdivision one level up in Connecticut. And uh, Chris talked to him about Steve Peichel and what Calhoun thinks of the program building Peichel is doing and how it parallels what Calhoun did at UConn in the, in the late 80s to build them into a power. So that's coming out on Tuesday morning leading into the Penn State game. So I'm looking forward to reading that. Calhoun, if you know, never pulls punches. So he'll have something colorful to say, I'm sure. That's going to be a must read. We'll keep an eye out for that one. Of course, visit app.com. Follow us on iTunes. We're on Spotify. We're on SoundCloud. Follow us on Twitter as well. That's going to wrap up our show. Thanks for listening to Jersey Jump Shot. Enjoy the basketball coming up this week, and we'll talk to you next week. Jersey Jump Shot is a production of the Asbury Park Press and USA Today Network. Subscribe at app.com.